we're in the middle of a series, American Idols, and today we're going to talk about um, is image everything. I want to thank Dwayne. He's not here. He had to leave. He was sick, actually, and so uh, pretty much infected everyone, and uh, so uh, I said, yeah, go home. Can I go home? Yeah, you should go home. So anyway, thank you, Dwayne, um, for preaching last week, and and we're talking about today this idea of, in America, there's this idea that image is everything. So we're going to answer that question, is it really everything? And it was easy to find a picture of, you know, the, the perfect family with the perfect outfit on the perfect place. And, and it, it, we live in a, a world where we take selfies and we don't post them all. We just want to really look good in them. Uh, I don't post any because I never look good in any of them. But, but there's this idea that you have to project a certain image that the clothes make the man and all that sort of stuff. And so we're going to talk about that today. Because an idol, as we defined it a couple of weeks ago, is something we sacrifice for or something we pursue. And so one of the first commandments is this. You shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the waters below. And so back then they would form, they would make something physical to, to worship. And that's what he's talking about. You shall not bow down to them or worship them, for I, the Lord your God, I'm jealous. And we just sang this song about being jealous, and God is jealous for us. And normally we think of jealousy as a negative thing, like, like the boyfriend who was jealous of his girlfriend. I heard a story the other day. This boyfriend was jealous of his girlfriend, and it was kind of late at night, and she was texting someone, and, and he, you know, he thought her attention should be with him. And so she said, he said, uh, are, are, you, are you cheating? Is there somebody else? And she looked at him and kind of grinned and said, if there's somebody else, I wouldn't be here. Uh, so um, there's this idea that God is jealous for us. And if you look in Scripture, it's almost as if, Jealousy and, and zealousness are interchangeable. And you look at the words, and there's one letter difference. They come from the same Greek root called zelos, and, and it just means an intense enthusiasm. And so when I think about, okay, God is intensely enthusiastic for me, it sort of changes the way I, I, I live. And I was trying to think through my mind, when have I ever been intensely enthusiastic for someone. And you know, your mind, I mean, obviously it goes back to when I met my wife, and or she wasn't my wife obviously then, but uh, when I met Miriam, we lived in um, Fort Worth and we were both going to seminary, which is grad school. And um, there, in Fort Worth, there's this big kind of building with a dome and we were out on the, on the um, steps out in front of the big dome building. And, and uh, I, I remember the first time I saw her, I remember the first conversation, uh, my, my pickup line was, hey, how you doing? And uh, Joey Tribbiani got that from me. And um, uh, we talked for a while, and I remember, I remember when we were first dating how intensely enthusiastic I was to just hear her voice. Now, what's interesting to me is we've been married uh, a long time, 29 years, and um, I still am in, I, I'm still intensely enthusiastic to hear her voice. And, and she'll go sometimes, she goes and visits her, her parents, or her dad died, but her mom, and, and she'll be away a while, and I can't wait till she gets home. This is the idea behind God being jealous for us. And, and so, typically when we think of jealousy, jealousy is, I'm, I'm afraid, I'm jealous because I, I'm afraid you're going to find something better. That's not, the, that's not what God is for us. God's not jealous that you're going to find something better because you're not going to find something better. 
God's intense enthusiasm for us is such that He loves us with such a passion that He wants to be in the best relationship He can be with us. And, and so we sort of we get out of sync with that, and we want to project a certain image, and we want to do a certain thing. Let me tell you about projecting an image. When I was in junior high school, probably a seventh grader, let's go with seventh, seventh, eighth grade, something like that. Um, in Kentucky, the place you would go every year uh, if you wanted to go to an amusement park was Kings Island. It's in Cincinnati. It's like Carowinds here. You, it's it's kind of far away. It took a little time to get there. So for us to go to Kings Island, it took about two and a half, three hours. And that was the big trip for our youth group every year. Super big deal. So seventh grade, I got my buddy Mike Wilson, and we decide that we are going to um, coordinate our outfits because <laughs> that's the way you pick up chicks. You know, it's like, that's what we're going to do. We're going to coordinate our outfits because that's not dorky at all. So, um, so we, we chatted it up. Hey, what are we going to wear? And so we, we kind of came up with some stuff that we had in common. That's what we were going to wear. So the outfit included, this was a plan anyway, uh, cut off blue jean shorts, also known as jorts, you know what I'm talking about, with the frazzle, a little frazzle, uh, high uh, tube socks with stripes pulled up to the knee, blue high top Chuck Taylor Converse tennis shoes, which have made a comeback by the way, and the only shirt we had in common a flannel, did I mention July? It's July, by the way. Did I mention that? A flannel shirt that we were going to roll up as high as we could because that's the only thing we had in common. Flannel shirt, July, not a good play. Okay, so I go to bed. I get up early. You have to get to church early because it's a long bus drive up to Kings Island. And Mike Wilson has aborted the plan. He has opted for the much cooler T-shirt. Now, my mother let me leave the house wearing tube socks, high-top Chuck Taylors, cut-off blue jean shorts, and a flannel shirt in July. She let me leave the house like that. Have I ever mentioned to you I weighed 10 pounds, 11 ounces when I was born? This is payback. And so she let me leave the house. Okay. So... Mike shows up, he doesn't look like me, now I just look like a dork. You know, uh, when it was going to be both of us, it was a plan, now it's just stupid. So I walk around all day in 100 degree heat uh, on asphalt in Cincinnati, and, and I had a real strategic problem because the elasticity, elasticity, however that word is, the, the, uh, the sponginess uh, of my socks gave way. So my socks started to droop. You can't have droopy uh, tube socks. It's a, it's a horrible look. Um, it's a horrible look. Think about what I just said. Okay, anyway. But I had a plan. I came up with a plan. You know, uh, I'm a problem solver. That's what I do. I, I solve problems. And so I had a solution. I had uh, some big red gum for when I, you know, connected with the babes. And uh, I was going to be ready. Because who doesn't like cinnamon fresh breath? And so I had some big red gum, so I decided I'll chew some big red gum. And I took some, of, uh, took some pieces of big red gum and stuck them on the side of my legs to hold my socks up. Now, I don't know, um, the physiology of this is um, when gum gets hot, it does not stay elastic. And so I look down a while later, and I have streaks, red streaks running down my legs 
down to my socks. I looked like I had sort of early onset leprosy. And, and uh, it's going to surprise you. This is going to be a shocker. Uh, I did not pick up any girls that day. Uh, it's as amazing as that is. But we go to these stupid extremes to impress people. We, we just we go to these extremes. And, and today we wear things with labels. And the people that sell the things with labels, they give us the opportunity to buy their stuff to advertise for them. Isn't that nice? I mean, so nice of them for, to allow us to pay for the opportunity to advertise for them. And we get caught up in this idea that we're supposed to look a certain way and we're supposed to be a certain way. And on Facebook, we're supposed to have a certain personality or a profile and we're supposed to project a certain image and so I'm going to ask the question, or answer, maybe answer the question today, does God really care about all that? So we're going to read this really interesting story. It, it's, kind of a, it's kind of a harsh story, frankly. I mean, really, I read it and I think, oh my word, I'm glad it didn't work like that anymore. But if you have your Bibles, we're going to be in Acts chapter 4. And I'm not going to have it on the screen, I'm just going to read it to you. And I'm going to kind of sh- share with you as we go just a little bit, some, some tidbits. But... In verse 36 of chapter 4, it says, Joseph, by the way, uh, I got word more in and I got to tell you something. Uh, every Joseph in the Bible is great. Should note that. By the way, my name's Joseph. Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, sold a field he owned and brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. All right, time out just for a second. Christianity was new, the church was just launched. Um, so the problem with being a Christian was Jewish people didn't like you and Gentile people didn't like you. You were kind of in the middle. And so a lot of times if you owned a business or you had work, you would get blackballed and nobody would come to you. And so your business would dwindle. Following Christ cost you something. And in this particular community, it would cost you, it could cost you everything. It cost your livelihood. And so in that particular community, what they had done was people who had wealth would contribute to a kind of a, a fund to help people who didn't have a job or had lost their job or needed financing. And so there was this idea around, okay, we're going to help one another. And that, that's what this text is about. Barnabas seeing a need or he wanted to contribute to this fund to help other Christians. And so he did that. And one must assume that when he did it, there was a certain measure of acclaim for that. People... I mean, when people do nice things, a lot of times people, other people pat them on the back and, and say, good job, thank you for doing that. And so Barnabas had made this contribution, and people had noticed. Chapter 5. Now, a man named Ananias, together with his wife Sapphira, also sold a piece of property, did the same thing. And with his wife's full knowledge, he kept back part of the money for himself, but brought the rest and put it at the apostles' feet. Um, it's his property. He can do with it what he wishes. He sold it just like Barnabas had done, yet Barnabas had brought the whole thing and given. What Ananias and Sapphira, they, they sort of contrived a, a little plan. Hey, um, we saw what, that Barnabas was lauded for what he had done, so why don't we do the same thing, but let's keep a little bit back for ourselves. It's their prerogative, and as you'll see what, what Peter says next. Then Peter said, Ananias... How is it that, you, that Satan has filled your heart that you've lied to the Holy Spirit and kept for yourself some of the money you received for the land? Didn't it belong to you before it was sold? And after it was sold, wasn't all the money at your disposal? It's all yours. What made you think of doing such a thing? 
You've not lied to God, but you've lied to men. And when Ananias heard this, this is just, this is startling. He fell down and died. And great fear, <laughs> this is one of those verses, this verse makes me laugh. And great fear seized all who heard what had happened. Yeah, yeah. when people drop dead, that has a tendency to cause fear in people. Okay. Then the young men came forward, wrapped up his body, and carried him out and buried him. Um, Cliff and I were talking about this after the first service. How did you get drafted for that job? You're the, you're the, um, the drop dead committee. Uh, you know, it's like when people drop dead, you get to wrap them up and go bury them. I mean, that, that's what these young men did. The drop dead committee. I like it. All right, so about three hours later, his wife came in not knowing what had happened. Peter asked her, tell me, is this price you and Ananias got for the land? So he's given her a chance to come clean. No, we held some back. I mean, that's all she would have to say. Yes, she said, that's the price. And Peter said to her, how could you agree to test the spirit of the Lord? Look, the feet of the men who buried your husband are at the door, and they'll carry you out also. And at that moment, she fell down at his feet and died. And the drop-dead team came in, and finding her dead, carried her out and buried her beside her husband. And great fear <laughs> seized the whole church. Uh, great fear would seize the whole church when people drop dead. That's how it works. Okay. They, they performed an action with an extreme consequence. Now, it, I think great fear seized the people because everybody there would have also sinned. Um, it's not like everybody there is, is sinless and then these people do something bad. It, it's almost like a metaphor that, that God chose these folks, Ananias and Sapphira, to teach a lesson. And the lesson was, you, God knows. God knows your heart. God knows what's going on. And so let's talk about this whole truth of image. Because we will feed our need for approval. You can get your approval from God or you can get it from men. You get to choose, but you, you will. And, and we look for approval in lots of different ways. It's not just what we wear. It's, it's what we drive or our title or, or you know, how we look. There's lots of ways that we try to get people to notice us and to get people's approval. And I found a video um, about how sometimes we attempt to get people's approval. We sort of hide because we want people to think something different of us than is reality. Watch this. Are you tired of these fancy meal prep companies offering you meals you'd never eat, but at the same time too embarrassed to Uber Eats McDonald's? Introducing Red Apron, a fast food delivery service disguised as meal prep. Just order your favorite fast food, then our drivers will pick it up, drop it in a pretentious box, and leave it at your door. Finally, look healthy and trendy on the outside, yet still be a lazy slob on the inside. Be honest. Do you want to return home from a long day's work to vegan shawarma with tzatziki hummus and beet salad? No, you don't. Sign up for Red Apron today and get back to eating what you really want. We'll even change the names of your favorite fast food dishes so you can feel better about yourself while eating it. A Big Mac meal becomes a sear-sizzled beef on a poppy seed-raised yeast roll with sun-ground lettuce and chopped onion with vinegar-preserved cucumber and precision-cut potato spears. A Crunchwrap Supreme and a Mountain Dew becomes ground beef with basil rounds, romaine leaves, and cultured cream wrapped in fresh-shell tortilla with a beverage of field corn and cane-extracted carbonated water and orange juice. Let's face facts. Assembling prepackaged food with a step-by-step instruction guide doesn't make you a cook. It makes you good at following directions. You're hungry. The last thing you want to do when you get home from work is Ikea your dinner together. We'll even send you photos so you can post on Instagram so your followers will think you're more healthy than you actually are. 
Think about how good you'll look to your neighbors when they see a meal prep box that holds a swine-topped flatbread with tomato basil spread and coagulated milk casein. And think about how good you'll feel pulling out a hot pepperoni pizza. It's time to take your life back and start eating like you deserve. Red Apron, like Blue Apron, but with food you'd actually eat. What's funny about that is it makes a lot of sense because we do hide stuff and we don't want, we want to, we want to project a certain image. There's a, a sociologist by the name of George Herbert Mead and he calls this, this idea around wanting to impress other people. We don't want to impress everybody, but we have a certain group. He calls it the generalized other. That would be people that we really, we really need their approval. So it could be your parents, or it could be your spouse, or it might be your boss. or it, It's usually people close to you, your family. And you, what's funny about his research is it's not so much what, what you think about me, it's what I think you think about me. I, I'm really not really even concerned what you think. I, I really just care what I think about you thinking about me. We, we are so narcissistic and selfish. And this just goes on. And you know as well as I do, kids and grandkids, they, they constantly say, look at me. And we think we grow out of it, but we really don't. Because we have this need for approval. Now, sometimes we strive hard to impress because of self-esteem. We, we want someone to notice us. And we want someone to think our contribution to the world is valuable. I'd like to think that what I do is valuable to somebody. And so this is an issue for us. Our self-esteem is wrapped up in our image. One of the saddest things that happens is when, when a young girl gives herself to a man because she needs approval. This happens often. Another part of why we strive so hard to impress is pride. We, we like to think good of ourselves. We fall into a comparison trap, and I've been around long enough to know this. I can always find somebody that's doing worse than me, and I can feel good about myself. But on the other side of the coin, I can always find somebody doing worse than me and then get a little depressed. In Galatians, it says this, you should each judge your own conduct without having to compare it with what someone else has done. I read a a cute little story about Samuel Rogers. He was a 19th century British poet. And they were having a, a sort of a, a round table of poetry. And, and they were talking about one guy among their group who wasn't there that night. And this guy was handsome and, and was wealthy from a, a very connected family. He had tons of potential. And they were kind of talking about what a great guy he is. And Samuel Rogers at the end chimed in and said, Thank God he has bad teeth. You know, at least there's some flaw. We look for those flaws in people. And, and, and so the idea is... Okay, if I'm going to impress, I probably need to think through who it is I'm impressing. Because Jesus, it says about Jesus, uh, uh, yeah, Jesus, it says Jesus grew in favor with God and with men. And so Jesus was totally committed to doing what his father asked him to do, but he grew in favor with God and with men. People enjoyed being with Jesus. You want to know how I know? Because he would preach for extended amounts of time, and I know it's a different culture than it is here, but even then I would have to think it would be difficult to keep an audience's attention for a while. And the Sermon on the Mount is really long. I mean, it would have taken a long time to deliver that. And yet, in fact, we see, we see stories when he fed the, the, the multitude of people. Uh, they had sat through his teachings through lunch. 
It was time to eat. And so Jesus was incredibly engaging. And, and people, I love our church because we're done at 1130. You've got 16 more minutes. That's all we got. You know, you can check it on your watch. I'll be done in 16 minutes. Um, but I, I've been in churches where the, the, the clock runs out at 12. You know, you're, you're done at 12. And I've pastored those churches. And you get to 1201 and people start doing this. You know, they're, they're, or they're pointing, or, or they're going, you know. I had one guy walk out one time, and he came back in, and later I said, what did you do? And he said, I went and got a haircut. So why would you get a haircut? I said, did you not need a haircut before you got here? He said, I didn't need it before I got here, I, you know. So you got people like that, right? And yet Jesus was able to keep and hold their attention. Look at what this next verse is. I try to please. This was Paul. He was a great church planter and lover of Jesus. He, he was this great man of God. And he said, I try to please everyone in every way. I don't think about what would be good for me, but about what would be good for many people so that they might be saved. And his ambition was to make a connection and, and form a friendship, if he could, in order that he might tell people about Christ. We are going to fulfill that need for approval. It's just where are we going to look to fill it? Are we going to to look to people to approve of us or are we going to look to God to approve of us? Because motives matter, which is the second point. Motives matter. Look at what Jesus said here. Be especially careful when you're trying to do good so that you don't make a performance out of it. It might be good theater, but the God who made you won't be applauding. It's a cool verse. It's a cool lesson. Because here's what I know about me. When I do something good, I like people to know about it. And if you don't know about it, I might drop a hint that I did something really good so that you know about it. Um, so it goes something like this. Somebody will talk about um, flying. Uh, they're flying. And I said, you know, I, I, might, I might say this because this really happened. Um, uh, yeah, last time I was flying, uh, the, the stewardess came on and she said, I'm going to need one of you fat guys to move to balance out the airplane, and I volunteered. I basically saved everyone on the plane uh, just by changing seats. I mean, you know, not every hero wears a cape. And, uh, and we do stuff like that. You know, I was driving the other day. Yeah, well, the other day I was driving too, and I helped a little old lady change a flat tire. We want people to know. And, and I'm, I'm as guilty as the next guy. Because when you do something good, it's nice to be affirmed about it. But then Jesus says this. So when you give to the needy, Don't announce it with trumpets like the hypocrites do in synagogues and the streets to be honored by others. But when you give to the needy, when you do good things, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret. And then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. See, the problem is this. When I want recognition for doing doing good things, when I'm just looking for recognition from people, it's a problem. I've told you this story before, but let me tell you again, because I, I was just home to, at, at Kentucky, and I th- always think more about my dad when I go home, obviously. My dad's been, uh, has passed away, you know, I think, 17 years ago. It's been a while, a long time. And I remember when we were at the funeral home, and there was the viewing, and you know, I don't know how they do it here, but the viewing, you, you stood by the casket, and people walked, that's how they do it here, uh, the people walked by. And I entered conversations with folks that some of them I didn't even know. And they would say things to me like, you don't know this, but your dad gave me money when I had a need. 
And I would always look at my mom to see if she knew. And some, some of the stories she knew about, some of them she didn't. Because dad didn't tell her everything. And dad helped lots of people. And, and there, was, there was just story after story of, hey, your dad helped me. Your dad did this for me. Your dad got me this job. I remember one guy, my, my dad had worked in a, a factory. Um, Daddy was funny. He said he hated factory. He became a truck driver. But when he worked in the factory, he said, yeah, he, he said, son, I, I worked, one day I worked eight hours. I looked at the clock and it only moved 10 minutes. Uh, so uh, factory work wasn't for him. But there was a guy that he worked with in the factory who was short. And my dad was my height, about 6'1". And, and so daddy helped this guy get some stuff off the top shelf because he couldn't do it. It was probably... 40 years before I talked to him. And this guy said, your dad helped me 40 years ago. Now nobody knew that. My mom didn't know that story. My dad never told us that story. But he did those kinds of things. I'm going to go back if I can, if I can figure out how to go back. Look at the, the last verse 4. So that your giving may be in secret. Then your father who sees what is done in secret... My motives matter. See, Barnabas had the motive of giving, and he did it openly. He didn't hide it. I think, I think he did it openly to encourage others to give. Hey, I'm going to do this. What we read about in Barnabas, about Barnabas in Scripture isn't that he sought glory. I think he did it openly just to encourage others to give. Ananias and Sapphira did it so they would be praised. Motives matter. The way you break yourself of wanting to get recognition for every good thing you do is do something good and don't let anybody know it. And it is really hard to do. You do something great for somebody and you don't tell anybody? And, and you can't, you, it's, it's like it eats at your, your, your spirit because you, you so, we so long to want somebody to acknowledge that we did something good. Here's what happens, though. You can do something good and nobody knows about it. You look back at this verse and you think, you know, my Heavenly Father saw that. And He'll reward me because I'm going to get rewarded. I'm either going to get rewarded with, uh, with affirmation and acclaim of people or I'm going to get rewarded with affirmation and acclaim from God. I get, I, have, I get to choose. But my motives matter. And while, uh, while images and everything, it's still something. We're to project an image that reflects Christ. Look at what Peter said to Ananias. How is it that Satan has filled your heart that you have lied to the Holy Spirit? See, the deal is this. The big idea is when the approval of people becomes my main goal, I'm worshiping at the wrong idol. I'm worshiping at the wrong altar. When winning approval of folks, even good folks, becomes my main ambition, I, I'm messed up. And back to Paul, he said, I care very little. He doesn't say I don't care at all. I care very little if I am judged by you or by any human court. It is the Lord who judges me. It, it's, it's much more important that God approves of what I do than people approve of what I do. Now, a couple of things here. We have to be careful how we live in front of Christians. That's what he's talking about here. Be careful, however, not to let your freedom of action make those who are weak in the faith fall into sin. And so we have to be cautious. Our lives have to be such that we don't cause other Christians to sin. And then Peter talks about sort of the flip side of that coin. 
Be careful to live properly among your unbelieving neighbors. And then even if they accuse you of doing wrong, they'll see your honorable behavior and they will give honor to God when he judges the world. Honorable behavior. It's kind of what we're talking about here. Let me show you a picture. This guy's name is Robert Williams. He is um, an instructor of um, and a supervisor over uh, the bus transportation um, arm of the government in Louisville, Kentucky. Now, interesting story. Robert Williams started riding the bus to school, uh, a, a city bus to school, not a, not a school bus, when he was eight years old. And his bus driver's name was Louise Garnett. Miss Garnett had kind of a mothering uh, disposition and would ask him about his family and that sort of thing. And it just so happened that Robert's dad left them. And so he has not just Robert, but his mom now has to take care of Robert and nine siblings, ten kids. And Miss Garnett would ask him every day, have you eaten? Um, How's school? She knew he liked to write. What have you been writing lately? How are things going? She so impressed this young little boy that at 10 years old, he was 10, started riding the bus at 8, two years later, he decides he wants to be a bus driver. So at 10 years old, he, he, his mom taught him how to sew. He makes himself a little uniform. He walks into a bus station, he, to the terminal. He gets on a bus and starts driving it in the city of Louisville, 10 years old. Well, he got arrested. And when he came before the judge, he explained, I just wanted to make some money, and Miss Garnett was so good to me, I wanted to be like her. And so it's it's a cool story. He, um, the the bus company was there, had a representative there, and they said, okay, when you get 25, if you want to ride, if you want to drive for a bus company, you come and we'll give you a job. We promise you a job at 25. This kid graduated top of his class out of high school. He went to the Navy and served until he was 25. And when he was 25, he was discharged honorably. He went to the bus company and got a job. And it was because there was a lady named Louise Garnett who cared about him. It it was honorable behavior. She cared about him. Now, driving a bus isn't glamorous. There aren't a lot of movies about driving a bus other than that movie Speed. Uh, There aren't a lot of movies about bus driving. Uh, Not a lot of books about people driving buses. And yet, that woman made an impact on that young man's life for the rest of his life. It's honorable behavior. What we do matters, and how we treat people matters. And how we treat all people matters. It all matters. So it brings me to the last point. We're to seek ultimate approval. I loved, we kind of went through this verse real fast, but let's go back to it. Jesus called, I'm sorry, Joseph called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement. What a great nickname. If you had a nickname, what would you be? The son of what? I mean, you can't say it. Uh, Son of encouragement, really great, right? Super great. Uh, I thought about my nickname. I'd like to be known as the Sermonator. Uh, So, uh, uh, just looking for that, uh, you know, affirmation right there. In Ephesians it says, when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of salvation, when you believed in Jesus, you were sealed. You, you gained an identity. You were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. 
The Holy Spirit, when we become followers of Christ, comes into our lives to empower us, to equip us, to encourage us. Again, talking about the sealing. Um, you should know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, who is given you by God. We are gods when we become followers of Jesus. And this whole seal, when he talks about the seal, in olden days they would seal letters. They would put hot wax on the back of a letter and they would seal it. And they would seal it with a, an, a, an insignia. And what that text was saying is, hey, we've been sealed in Christ. When we became Christians, we're, we're one with God. We become part of the team. And the Holy Spirit comes into our lives. It provides us security. When, when, we, when we're on the team, we're on the team. And, and it provides us with authenticity. The Holy Spirit living in us shows us that we are God's children. And ownership, He is ours and we are His. And I love this last verse we're going to talk about. So you do not belong to yourself because you were bought by God for a price. Cost Jesus his life. So honor God with your bodies and with your image. So, what do you want to be known for? Our lives are short, and do you want to be known as the person who always was well manicured and, and had a great image? Or do you want to be known as the person who reflected the love of Christ to everybody you meet? I mean, and that sounds great in theory, but that's really hard. Because that means you have to drive like Christ would drive. One of the most difficult things for me to do, I don't know about you, is, is to drive nice. Because there are stupid people out there. You know, it's like, what is wrong with these people? Do you know what a blinker is? I mean, there's stuff. And so you see, and, and I think to myself, you know what? If Jesus was driving, he probably wouldn't have left late. So I'm in a hurry, right? So now I'm mad at every I'm mad at everybody because I made the decision to leave late. How's it their fault? And when I go places and somebody takes my order or somebody is supposed to be serving me and they don't do it the way exactly the way I think they ought to. What would Jesus do in that situation? How would Jesus deal with people who weren't on top of their game? Who weren't interested in their jobs? See, we're so self-centered. I'm thinking about, hey, I need my food, and I want it just the way I want it. But the person giving me my food may have had a really bad day. Maybe they can't pay their bills. Maybe they found out their grandmother died. You don't know what's going on in their life. There may be a reason. They may not even care. Even if they don't care about you, even if it's none of those things. I mean, we could give them a pass if, if it's something like their grandma died. I mean, if your grandma dies, I'm giving you a pass, man. What if they're just disinterested? Jesus loves them too. That soul is precious. Whether they serve me well or not, it makes no difference. 
to Jesus because that person is precious. If we're going to project an image, let's project an image of I'm going to be like Christ in all my dealings with all people. With all my dealings with all people. Because all people are precious to God. Father, I thank you for this day, for the challenge of being people who treat others the way you treat us. Your forgiveness is limitless. Your love for us is boundless. Your patience with us is endless. Lord, you love us, and when we mess up, you still love us, and we can mess up more, and you still love us. And you never run out of grace. And help us to stop caring so much about what other people think. And help us to remember that our Heavenly Father sees even when nobody else sees. Our Heavenly Father will reward us even when no one else rewards us. Help us focus on what's really important. We pray it humbly in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.